Genesis chapter 28. Uh, we have been camped out here in this, this, uh, this text for a few weeks, and it's been so wonderful uh, having God speak to us through it. And we've been just learning so much about God's plan that really dovetails perfectly with the Christmas story. We're going to read uh, verses 10 through uh, 18. It says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place, and he stayed there all night, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So if you can picture a ladder with the angels cruising up and down on on the ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, and this promise I want you to let sink into your heart this Christmas. No matter what's going on, because I, I realize we got a we got a we got a stack deck here. You know, we got people who are like, I love Christmas. You are like Will Ferrell. You are just rabid about it. You know, it's like <laughs> Christmas carols. Yes, that's how we spread cheer. And others of you are like, can these holidays please end? Because eggnog makes me nauseous, and I'm just reminded of how my life isn't a Hallmark card, right? And I just want you to know that regardless of of, of whether you're at one extreme or the other or somewhere in the middle, here's what God promises you. I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, because this was all a dream, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other then the house of God, and don't miss this, he says in verse 17, and this is the gate of heaven. So we woke up early the next morning, verse 18. He took the stone that he had put at his head. He set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And Father, we just pray that on this Christmas Eve, as we hush our hearts for just a moment from the craziness of, of shopping and baking and hosting and, 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 and sometimes wanting these holidays to end and sometimes having moments so special that we wish they would just go on forever and regular life could be like that. And we just thank you that in this moment we are under your gaze. You see us. You care about every single one of us. No matter what's going on in the craziness of life and stress and health and family and plans and difficulty and disappointment, and we believe that you're here with us and that you have something to say to us. And we pray that that would happen. And we ask that, we ask that if even one person has come into our church this, this Christmas, maybe in, in Portland, Oregon, sitting in the back, maybe came in by themselves in Salt Lake City and just wondering what, what, what the meaning of life is, what, whether there is a God who even cares about us or, or knows our name. And, and, and yet I pray, God, that you would touch hearts with your love today, draw us to yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Title of my message this Christmas is Roughing It. Roughing It. 
Of course, we have here Jacob roughing it, sleeping on a rock for a pillow. Terrible choice. Should have swung by REI on his way out of town. Obviously, they have much better options these days. Uh, but but camping, camping, I have, I have sort of a love-hate relationship with camping. Uh, I love the idea of it, and usually I hate most of it. Um, any, anybody with me at all? Like, you're, you're like I, I'm just willing to admit I, I don't love camping. I realize I'm, I'm ruining all Montana credibility here <laughs> in this admission. I, I, I want to like it. I just, every time I get out into the midst of it, I realize how much I'm grateful for my bed. And, and I only really like camping to the extent that I recreate a home experience in the woods, <laughs> right? So much, like uh, I, I found myself wishing there was like a battery-powered waffle maker. You know, like at that point, you're like, you should really just stay home, right? <laughs> it's like the comedian Jim Gaffigan. He talks about how we work hard 50 weeks of the year to pretend and live like we're homeless for two weeks, and we spend a lot of money to do that. But uh, Jacob uh, went camping, but not because he loved it, because he had no other choice. If you're not familiar with the story of the Old Testament, here's this guy Abraham, father of faith, or so he's called. Only at the time, he was just a random guy that God got a hold of and said, I'm going to use your family to do something spectacular. You're really old, Abraham. You're going to have a son. That seemed unlikely until it happened, right? God's promises always come to pass, even though in the middle, they never look like they're going to. And here's this baby, Isaac. And Isaac, uh, Isaac has a, a wife one day, and, and they have twins. And the twins are named Esau and Jacob. The Bible tells us that Esau was really hairy and outdoorsy. He went to the monster truck rallies, right? He, he ate beef jerky, didn't even unwrap it. It's like, dude, the plastic's still on it. Don't even care. I'm stepping into a Slim Jim. Like, dude, right? <laughs> Jacob was repulsed by his older brother Esau. Uh, Esau, like I told you, was very hairy. And, and so that was literally his name. Esau means hairy, right? Thanks, mom, right? It's like, you named me hairy. Why? You, you were like a little Chewbacca baby. I don't know what to do with you, right? Jacob was an indoor guy. He, he liked to cook. He, you could find him on Pinterest, bookmarking recipes. I'll save this for later, right? And, and, uh, and they had nothing in common, really, and, uh, except that they both wanted their father's approval. They both wanted the blessing. They both wanted to be uh, you know, their, their, their favorite and to be the one to take the, and carry the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, onto their life. But now there was a fork in the road, so there was sibling rivalry. And Jacob decided, you know what, I'm tech with this firstborn gets all the blessing stuff. And he decided to deceive and lie and swindle and cheat. His brother was stronger than he was, but he was sneakier, you know. So he was always coming up with plans and working the system. And, and basically, uh, he succeeded in getting a lot of what his brother would have had. And uh, his brother decided, well, you know what, you might be smarter than me, but I'm going to kill you. So we'll see how that works out for you, Mr. IQ. And his, their mom, this is all true, right? You think your family's messed up? Look, the Bible's just full of messed up people. Just just like you, okay? And uh, the mom overheard Esau strategizing. When Isaac dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. And she says, bro, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of town. Go live with my, my brother Laban. Go live with your uncle. Now, that footnote was 500 miles away. This is not a guy who has a lot in common with Bear Grylls. But she just shoves him out the tent flap in the night and says, get out of here. And he, as we stumble into this passage, Genesis 28, has made it about 40 or 50 miles into a 500-mile journey. When the sun set, he had to go to sleep. He didn't have a headlamp. This guy did not know how to make a fire. And so he just lies down on a pillow. And, and really, you know in those moments when you go to sleep and you, you, or you try to and, and you replay your day and you're just literally going, Shouldn't have done that. 
This was, that was a mistake. Man, why did I write that email? Damn, why was I like that again? Why did I do that again? Why, was I, why did I get so huffy? Why did I get so hurt? I, I catch myself saying that to myself going into conversations. Don't become that version of yourself. Don't do that. Every time you do that, it goes badly. You know that age-old advice, if you want to gather honey, don't kick over the beehive, right? But it's sometimes just kicking the beehive feels so good. And you know when you say that, this is what's going to happen. But you just find yourself doing it anyway. That's Jacob lying there going, why did I? Why did I why why did I end up here? How did I do this? My, it's my brother. It's, it's, I lied to my dad. I betrayed the trust in my, in my home. I created so much division. And he would have thought at that moment, the last thing anybody uh, would have ever thought would be that he was going to have a meaningful encounter with God. He admitted once God showed up, God, you, you're in this place, and I, I didn't think you were. I didn't think you'd want anything to do with me. Why? Because that's what we feel like when we're at rock bottom. God, why, how could you want anything to do with me? But what he discovered is what you need to know, and that is God will stop at nothing to reach you, reach you even though you have nothing to offer him. Because God loves us. He doesn't want anything from us. He has everything for us. So God invades Jacob's camping trip. Here he is roughing it, and he experiences a moment in the presence of God too wonderful to, to even articulate. Not even Thomas Kincaid could paint this scene. I mean, the, the ladder, even though he probably tried. The ladder and the, 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 the angels and God up in heaven speaking, it's just, it's just too wonderful to even think about. But in this text is a clue about how God's kingdom works, and it has everything to do with Christmas. The key is the statement Jacob made in verse 18 when he said, this is the gate of heaven. Now, you have to understand, the narrator who's writing the book of Genesis has already used that phrase. And so now when we read it, we're meant to think back to what he showed us the first time the gate of heaven was used. Now, when was that? It's Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, a story you probably know well if you grew up anywhere around church or vacation, Bible school. This is one of those stories that most of us have heard. Then they, the, all these people, said to themselves, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Your attention, please. This little story took place in a city called Babel. And for the rest of the story of the scriptures, again and again and again, that will be a charged phrase, Babel. Babylon, all the way to the end, it's a competing stream to what God's calling people to, a competing stream to what God has said he would do. You see, God created us to have a relationship with him. Death and disease and pain and betrayal and sin and hurt, all of these things were never supposed to be a part of our story. It was when sin entered that suffering began. It was when sin entered that death showed up. You have Adam and Eve walking around, and they're making love and eating fruit and naming animals. It's a place of creativity and expression and relationship and, and bliss until sin. 
Moments after sin enters, you have Cain rising up and killing Abel. You have Adam and Eve hiding and lying and blame shifting and pointing. There's friction and tension and betrayal and pain, all because of sin, which is why God said, don't sin, don't do this, don't disobey what I've done. Listen to me carefully. Whenever we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The soul that sins, the Bible promises, shall surely die. And so God says, when we did sin, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send forth my son. God, listen to me. God promised Christmas from the very first page of scripture when he said, I'm going to send my son to be a savior. He'll be stronger than Hulk. He'll be faster than Iron Man. He'll have bigger biceps than Captain America. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to crush the head of the dragon. He's going to die for the sins of the world. That's God's plan. What are we supposed to do until that day? Spread out in the world, find places to live, beautify the world, enjoy the goodness that still exists in a, even a broken creation. Spread out, wait for me. Spread out, wait for Christmas. Trust me, live for my glory, live for my name. And that brings us to Genesis 11, where people say, we don't want to spread out. We want to gather. We want to clump together. We don't want to live for your name and wait for you. We want to live in Babylon and make a name for ourselves. What were they essentially saying? Well, if you could use your imagination, our relationship with God could be symbolized by this light bulb. Our connection with heaven, our being in fellowship with God could be basically compared to a light bulb that has a string that's just out of reach that none of us could quite get our hands on. Why would I use that analogy? Well, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So wholeness, whatever you want to call it, health, uh, bliss on the inside, that, that, that ache that we can't quite shake, no matter what we have, no matter what possessions we have, that, that, that which we want is always, so to speak, out of reach because we've fallen short. We're separated from a perfect God by our sins, and we can't do anything about it. He says, I got this. Just trust me. What do we essentially do? Let me help you understand with a visual picture and demonstration. This here is a piece of exercise equipment that is found in a lot of gyms around the country, and it is called a Jacob's Ladder. And what you do is you connect yourself in with this little safety belt, and then you basically just start climbing. Except when you have the harness on, it pulls back at you. So the better you do, the more you're hindered. The, the better you do, the more you're unable to go forward because as you pull on the leash, it causes the ladder to be released faster, and so you can never get to the top. But what they were doing in Genesis 11 was they were climbing up a ladder saying, we're going to get our way to God. And, and commentaries talk about how the Tower of Babel was a ziggurat. A ziggurat, what we think of like the Mayans or the Aztecs, basically a religious structure with stairs on it. And they weren't actually physically trying to get to heaven. What they were using was their own religious attempt to get to God without having to trust in God's plan. Why? Because trusting in God causes us to be humble. Trusting in God causes us to have to use faith. None of us want that. We want to be like Bruce Wayne and climb the mountain and pick the purple flower and do something wonderful for ourselves. So we want to basically get to God or get to heaven on our own two feet. So we would much rather climb a ladder to get to heaven than trusting God to make the difference for us. Problem is, the faster we go, 
the more we'll pull back. The, the, the higher we climb, the more we realize we can't get there. And what we're looking for and longing for and chasing for, no matter how much money, how much fame, how much sex, how much alcohol, it always just remains perpetually on the higher shelf. We just can't, we just can't quite get, come let us make a tower for ourselves that will get us back to heaven. But it's impossible. And Jacob, when he said, this is the gate of heaven, what he was saying in that was, he was saying, so that's how heaven actually works. Because the word Babel or Babylon, it actually, I'm just trying to. (laughs) (laughs) Babel actually means gate of heaven. They said, we found the gate of heaven. We're going to get that on our own. And when Jacob was lying there, he hadn't sought God. He hadn't lived a good life. He had hurt people. He had done bad things. But God invaded his story. And with a picture of a a ladder that did not come from earth to heaven, but came from heaven to earth, he showed him God inviting Jacob to be part of him fulfilling his promises. He saw God inviting Jacob to to, to be a part of of him bringing him to heaven. And when he said, this is how Babel uh, actually works. This is how the gate of heaven actually works. It's not what we do to get to God. It's what God's willing to do to get to us. And the reality is, I think all of our experience could bear witness to the fact that our own towers of Babel can't do for us what God has promised to do. No matter what we would look to to think this could reconnect me, this could make me truly happy. I mean, I think a lot of us think, well, if I could just have a little bit more money, I'd be happy. I was listening to a podcast this week by Dr. Lori Santos from Yale, and she was pointing to the fact that no matter how much money you have, you always wish you had some more. Uh, She did a research study where she asked people, you know, how much money would you have to make to be happy? She found that all across the board, people who made about $30,000, they would usually say, you know, if I could make $50,000 a year, I'd be happy. But people who made $50,000 a year didn't say, I'm happy. I make 50K. Those chumps at 30, they they don't. No, the 50,000 person said that they needed $100,000. They could just think of things they couldn't do right now. But if I could make $100,000, I'd be happy. And guess what? The people interviewed who do make $100,000, you know what they said? I, knew I would need two fifty. If I made two fifty, dollars uh, $250,000 a year, then I would be happy. The podcast went on, and they pointed to the findings of two Nobel Prize-winning researchers who actually looked into it and found that happiness planes off at $75,000. Once you make $75,000, if you are only making 20 or 30 or 40, you will feel a little bit happier every time you get a raise until $75,000. But at $75,000, it kind of plateaus and stalls. And no matter how much more money you get, you don't find too much more perceived sense of happiness that comes from it. They even went on to interview people who made as much as $500 million. And they said, you know, 
if I could just make a billion. I think at that billion dollar mark, there would really be some, what is it? It's a stairway that's never ending. It's always thinking if I could just get one more rung, if I could just get to that string, if I could just get, if I could just, if I could, that's, that, that's a Babel approach to spirituality. That's a religious approach to spirituality. It's what I do for God. It's what I do for me. It's what I can make happen with my own two hands, which is why I think to you, I think that you'll agree, what is much better is the latter that God gives us in the Christmas tree. It's a ladder that's much better that God gives us in Luke chapter 2. Because in Luke chapter 2, what do we find? We find this simple couple, Mary and Joseph. He's a carpenter. She's this young girl. They end up in Bethlehem because of a problem with their taxes. And verse 6 says, so it was while they were there, there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What does Luke describe? Luke describes what Jacob was given a picture of. Luke describes what Jacob, Jacob, even thousands of years removed, was allowed to see in advance. A ladder opening up from heaven to earth. A portal opening up. A true gate of heaven. Not one based on what we can do. Not, not based on what we can earn. Not based on, on what we can obtain. Not based on us making a name for ourselves. But a ladder opening up. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Jesus has come. Jesus has shown up. The ladder had come. The, the Christmas ladder had shown up. And here's the best part of all. We don't have to do anything to earn it because, listen to me, Jesus turned the light on on his way down. A, sh a light shone in the night sky. And here to, to two people who found themselves camping, no room at the inn, so they slept in a cave. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were roughing it. The first to hear of the good news of his birth were shepherds keeping watch out in the field, two shepherds who were roughing it. They, like Jacob, never thought anybody would want to do anything with them. Shepherds were the outcasts of society. It was a job no one wanted. They weren't trusted. They were ceremonially unclean. You, you would lock your door if you saw a shepherd pulling up next to you in your Camelac Escalade, right? <laughs> because it was just a, like, oh, hey, watch out. I see the shepherds here. And and, and so it was kind of like, but, but to shepherds, to you who feel like you're at rock bottom, to you who feel like you have nothing to offer God, I'm telling you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, Christmas is for you. The ladder has come down from heaven for you. Not a ladder that you have to climb up and obtain, but a ladder that's come down. 
You see, the, the, the point of the story is not that Jesus came to point us to a new ladder. Here's a new thing you need to do. Jesus came to be our ladder. Jesus came to come down from heaven. He came down to earth. The Bible says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. He was in all points. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse, verse 15, tested and tempted like we are. And yet he was without sin. He became a man. He, so to speak, roughed it on our earth as a human being, leaving the glories of heaven, living in this broken world. He became one of us so that we could have uh, the hole in our heart filled so we could be given the hope of heaven. But it's better than that. You see, being a Christian and following Jesus is not just waiting to die. There's more. You know, I think about how Sometimes gifts that we get will disappoint. You know, maybe you did your best to give your, your friends and family a gift that when they open up, they're just going to freak out. But sometimes we, we miss the mark. Now, a couple of years back, I, I saved this story in the news because it was just so hilarious. This, you probably heard about it. This, this waitress, she was a part of a, um, a contest to see who could sell the most beer for a month. This was in, in Florida. Who could sell the most beer? Who could, who could push the most on their customers? And she won. And uh, the, the prize, she was told, the manager kept telling them the prize was going to be a, a brand new Toyota. And she was super excited about that until she got brought out the day of the, the, the prize being given out. She got brought out to the parking lot. Everyone was there cheering. And she got brought out the door. And here's what she was handed, a Toyota. <laughs> she was given a toy Yoda. That's terrible. Toyota. The manager thought it was hilarious. She didn't think it was so funny. So she quit and sued him. And they had to take her to a Toyota dealership and give her any Toyota she wanted. Thank God there is justice in the world. And I thought about that when I saw on the news that the number one plush toy being sold this year is a baby Toyota. Uh, but but that, that girl got a gift that disappointed. She thought it was going to be one thing. It was much worse. So here's the thing about Christmas. It doesn't disappoint. It's the gift that keeps on giving because he doesn't just want to bring you to heaven when you die. He wants to bring heaven to your soul while you live. It's, it's better than you could think it would be. And, and the wonder, the wonder of Christmas is that it's, it's not about us obtaining. It's not about us doing some great thing. You, the, the bad news this Christmas is that you can't earn God's favor. The good news this Christmas is that you don't need to. Jesus already has done it all. He, 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 he accomplished everything necessary to turn the light on over your head so that this Christmas, every single day, you can approach walking with God, living in this world, doing all that you've done, not going, God, are you happy? God, are you happy? Was that enough? Because on your bad days, on your good days, when you're naughty, when you're nice, come on, in Jesus, God already sees the light on over your head. And that's how to a, a liar, deceiver, cheat like Jacob, to the outcasts of society like Shepherd, God could say, good news. I've taken care of it. I've done it all. You can have a relationship with me. You can participate in my plan. To Jacob, he could say, guess what? You're going to be a part of God bringing salvation to the whole world, blessing the whole world. Well, how does that work? Because Jacob had sinned, and so have I, and so have you. How does, how does this all reconcile? If God's really just, then, then how does he accept us back to having a relationship with him when we've all fallen short of the glory of God? The answer is in the Christmas tree. You see, this ladder that came down, this tree that came down, it was not a tree that God would call us to climb. It was a tree that God was willing to send his son, Jesus, to die upon. 
That's the power of the Christmas tree, because at the center of it is the cross. And the reason the light's on over your head is because Jesus took your sins and took my sins, and he nailed them to the cross. So we don't have to turn the light on. The light stays on. The light's perpetually on, because as Jesus hung there on that tree, what does 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 say? He in his own body bore our sins on the tree. So you're like, what about Jacob's sins? What about your sins? What about mine? God can't see them. They were already paid for. It is finished. He's written on the top of your account, paid in full. If you're in Christ, this is powerful. God literally can't see your sins. They've already been paid for. You're like, God, I'm really sorry about that. He's like, why? I actually don't know what you're talking about. I've chosen to throw that in the deepest part of the ocean. I, I, I see your sin further than the east is from the west. When I look at you, I just see the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that will change how you serve God. Because now you're not doing the good deeds of loving your fellow man so that God would turn a light bulb on. You're like, oh, the light bulb's already on and stays on. If I do nothing, you're pleased with me. If I never do another nice thing, you're still pleased with me. Yep, that actually makes you want to do more nice things. It actually frees you up to do great things in this world, not to earn God's favor, listen to me, but because you already have it. You're, you're, you're not, if you're walking in the power of the gospel, doing anything to be accepted by God. That will exhaust you. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, and I felt God specifically, I don't know who this is for, but I felt God specifically while I was preparing tell me to include this passage. It's one of the clearest invitations in the Bible and shows the difference between religion and a relationship with God. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, here's the word again, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, I think Jesus knew that in his day, like in our day, there are so many people who are just fatigued and wiped out from climbing religious ladders. I've got to make sure I show up at church and do nice things. And, and that's exhausting, because that puts it all on us to keep everything humming. When he said, come to me, I already died on the cross in your place. This is the ladder. This is, this is the gate of heaven. That, that's not a gate to anywhere good. This is rest for your soul. And if you're exhausted from trying to be good enough, if you're exhausted from trying to fill the emptiness on the inside, Jesus has come to me. I've taken care of your sin. I've brought a connection between heaven and earth. If you walk with me, you'll find rest for your soul. Do life with me, you'll find rest for your soul. So I wonder this Christmas, who is ready to receive that rest? If you're here, I, I believe God loves you. I believe God cares about you, knows you by name. And I wanted to ask you this question. Would you like to give your life to Jesus? Would you like to get off the, the Jacob's ladder of trying to be enough yourself and trust in Christ who turned on the light over your head through the death that he died on the cross and the resurrection that he accomplished when he rose from the dead for you? So that when you die, yes, I believe you will go to heaven the moment you die. That's a powerful, powerful component of the gospel. But there's more. 
There's also peace while we live, purpose while we live, a relationship with God to enjoy while we live. We get to participate in the greatest thing going in the world, God reaching people and loving people. And he wants to use you and me to do it. But it begins at the cross. It begins when we are willing to say, I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I need to invite you into my heart. I need to turn from my own attempts at saving myself and trust you to do what I can't do. It will take humility. It will take faith. It will take us abandoning our pride. But that is where grace invades, when we humble ourselves and ask him to do what we can never do for ourselves. So would you pray with me? All of us bowing our heads, closing our eyes, every location, church online. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. And if we open that door, he will come in and save us. If you're here and you sense the Holy Spirit knocking on the, on the door of your heart, maybe you've been religious, maybe you, you know lots of, about God, but this Christmas, it's time for you to not just know about him, but to know him, to experience him, to trust in the finished work of the cross, to trust in a Jesus who loved you so much he would rough it on this world to give you peace. If that's you I'm describing, I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and I'm going to ask that you would say it out loud after me. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, so there's power in confession. So I don't want you just to pray it silently. I also want these words to come out of your mouth so that you hear yourself saying, you need Jesus. If you're ready to turn from your sins and turn to him in faith, say this with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself, but I believe you can. Please come into my heart and make me new. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name.